welcome to The Rough Trap. My name is Artemis. And I'm Colin. And like always, this is published and produced by The York Review. So today we have a very special guest. A guest we're all excited about. Artemis, why don't you introduce us? Here we have... I'm Bill Thompson. I teach uh, 3D disciplines in the art department at York College. So what, what all classes does that entail? What are the kinds of work you have your students do? Um, I teach uh, jewelry and small sculpture. So that's uh, metalworking, basically, the, the principles and techniques necessary to create three-dimensional art that's worn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I teach ceramics, which is pretty self-explanatory, pots mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also teach sculpture classes, which is an interest in all sorts of sculpture and all sorts of materials. So we experiment with whatever we can work with within the context of the, the art department. Fantastic. Cool. And I, personally a student, I'm taking ceramics right now, and I love it. I was actually, I'm really upset because this is my last semester, so I can't take it later. But I'm also really upset because, like, now that I'm like really interested in ceramics, what do I do? But I think Bill has an, like an answer for that. So what what do we do? Yeah, we... I do. There's there's always a way to find another resource, no matter where you are, whether you're here in New York or you're in another town. There's usually a studio where you can go and work, use their equipment. They'll do the firing of the pottery for you or the ceramics for you. Here in York, I'm, I'm executive director of the Yorktown Craft Guild. And at the Guild, we have... Uh, 33 different disciplines of art, and we have a full pottery studio. You can come there and work, do your your projects and create your art, and then we'll help you with the firing of it and, and getting that all taken care of. And you can usually find a place like that wherever you are. Every major city has some center for the arts where there's people that are of like mind. That kind of opportunity in a, in a city or like any real like civil environment, uh, I think is really important. Do you see, do you get a lot of like adult professionals in there doing kind of work? What types of people do you find at the Guild? It's all kinds of people at the Guild. Uh, I think adult professionals are, are one of the mainstays of it. Our classes tend to be in the evening. So after you're done with work, you can come in and work in the studios and we have open studios on certain nights for different disciplines, so you can come in and just use our facilities for a small fee. And uh, I think that more and more as we as we get more and more into the digital world and, and the internet and that kind of thing, there's a need for people to sort of, they have, feel a need to go back and work with their hands again and do things and produce something. And so the Guild has sort of tried to fill that, that space and uh, give as many different opportunities for people to do that as, as they can, we can. And I think that's becoming, they say that there's an uptick right now in people that are involving themselves in craft and the arts. And I think that's, to me, that seems to be the reason. You know, we sit and we can get all the information and all of our communications through a box that we can hold in our hands. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you don't really make anything there, mm-hmm. and, and you can't really experiment um, with your creativity there. Mm-hmm. So this is a way for people to get sort of back to the basics of, of craft and, and art. I, think. I, I agree. You're very limited by like the formats of the things you're putting on the internet. You know, you're very constricted by that, that which you don't get that when you're creating with your hands. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, it's good. It's a good stress relief. You know, yeah. you know, things don't go well. 
you throw the pot against the wall and it's fine. Make it it's not it's not the end of the world. I yeah. can testify to things not going right and then having to like the satisfaction of like smashing it between your fingers. Um, actually, and to go along with that, I have noticed that there are a lot more of these paint nights, paint night studios popping up where people get together, they have a drink, they paint something. I've done a couple of them. I, I mean, I don't drink, but like, it's fun to see all these other people get drunk and then like paint pictures and stuff. I did a pumpkin that ended up being like really, it was very vaginal. <laughs> um, it was a Halloween one and I was just painting it and I hadn't put in the outlines. And the woman next to me is like, does that remind you of something to my friend who was also a girl? And she looks at it and she goes, yeah, it does. The coloring is just right. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, God. So <laughs> Quickly repainted. Yes. <laughs> Quickly started putting in, like, the outline stuff. And then, <laughs> super embarrassed. But it was, it was really fun. It was very awesome. And um, I, I remember thinking when I first started class, like, oh, this would be really great. And then when we were explaining, I was like, oh, this is going to be a lot of work. And then once I started actually working with, like, the clay and coming up with ideas, like, oh, man, I really want to make a teapot or... You know, I can't wait to make like a mug because my mom loves mugs or something. And then putting them together and then yeah. getting to like glaze them and fire them and see how they turn out and watch how everybody else's stuff turns out. It is, it's very, it's not just a fun process, but it's very unique because my imagination is just limited to me. But then I can see everybody else's imagination, what they do. And then I can try to like. That's, that's the beauty of a, of a studio situation. Yeah. And I, I have, I've been here at the college, I think it's 17 years now. So I'm, I run my, my classes like I would run my studio, and I have my own studio. So I want, it, I want it to be a place where people come in, everybody communicates with everybody else. There's a discussion. We talk about social events. You know, in the class sometimes right. we're discussing the, what's happening in the news, uh, the elections, what, whatever's up, whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. That becomes the topics of discussion. And that's fine because everybody's actually in this creative mode and we're all trying to create. And so if you set up your classes that way so that they operate that way, everybody has fun. It's relaxing. Yeah. And in the end, you're always gaining from the guy next to you. So when another student starts a project that you haven't tried before, you get to watch that, see how he's approached it. It's also why in the classes I work with you guys sometimes. Because I've been doing this a long time, right. and I can sit down and start a project, and it just sort of gives you enough guidance to take, have the confidence to just start. Because it's all about getting started. Yes. Know? And so that um, that's what I like to see in my studios. That's why I run my studios the way I do. I don't know if the other instructors here at the college do it the same as I do, but I've always found that I gain a lot more personally from that kind of environment and when I've worked in those environments in the real world, not here at college, mm -hmm. but in, a, in the art world, um, I benefit the most as well. And I see that all the other artists do too. So that, you know, when artists collaborate, new ideas come about. Right. And whenever there's that sort of collaboration, creativity in the room sort of goes up. Mm -hmm. and, and that's always what an artist is looking for. And I think that sort of idea is is really like the key to what you bring. Artemis, just the other day when we were discussing this interview and prepping, mm -hmm. you mentioned that your experience with art and sort of getting to this culture is a little different than most professors. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, I started doing art in high school. I had an extraordinary instructor there, my mentors, and man named Sam Sneeder. Um, he also taught uh, 
Jeff Koons. Jeff Koons and I were in the same class in high school, and mm-hmm. if you know the arts at all, you certainly run into Jeff Koons' name. Mm-hmm. So um, he's he's uh, from New York and, and a world-renowned artist. So Jeff and I uh, and, and Sam and that whole class were there had a lot of very creative work being done, and always working in different ways. In fact, you know my approach to the arts is comes from the way I, I was taught to approach it, which is in all different mediums. I work in a lot of different mediums myself in my own studio. Um, and so beginning there, I, uh, I didn't attend art school. I went on to work in the streets or became an artist. Uh, I got an education that was completely diverse from art in aviation. And, uh, and at that time, we were it was the 70s. There were no jobs because we were in the middle of an energy crisis. So uh, there was no opportunity for work, and I found other means by which to support myself, but then went back to the arts and started to uh, educate myself in a new medium. Because when I, when I was in school, I did ceramics, painting, sculpture. Uh, but when I got out, I realized that you couldn't make much money. You had to make a lot of pots to make a living. And, uh, and I, after working a summer with a guy that was a potter, I was sort of flabbergasted to realize that we had a whole building full of pottery and he was going to make a, a pittance of an income for that year just because you can't get much for a coffee cup. Yeah, right. yeah. And so that being the case, I, um, I was in tech school at the time in, at Pittsburgh Institute of Aeronautics and I was exposed to a lot of metal and I decided, you know, I can make, I can make jewelry. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw a bit of old aircraft parts. I thought, I could make that into something. I needed a gift. So I took some pieces home, made a ring and a bracelet, and thought, God, this isn't that difficult. I could teach myself. Got some books, started to study, taught myself those techniques, and then that eventually turned into um, my main discipline, which is jewelry. So how did you find yourself teaching here at York? Like um, the, the build from that. It's a really strange, well, I know, strange, yeah, it's a strange story. Uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, working with Native Americans in this country, so I was learning, I was working with those artists, uh, silversmiths in the Native American community. Mm-hmm. I had become friends with Tommy Singer, a well-known Native American artist, and Charles Loma, and I was traveling around the country. At that time, I was a, I was a driver for Porsche, um, on their racing team, uh, Hake Racing Enterprises was a, a Porsche racing team, and I was driving for them to make money so that I could go and keep working as an artist. I had to feed myself, and, and <laughs> there wasn't enough money in art in those days. Um, so I would travel to the tracks on the weekends, do my job, and then I would go out west and spend some time with natives there, studying with them and working with them. And um, I, I, during that period of time, with a friend of mine uh, that was with a, a member of the Ogallaga Sioux tribe, I did a vision quest. And during the vision quest, which is a, basically, it's sleep and, and food deprivation, is, what, uh, is the best way to describe it to somebody that doesn't understand it. Um, and so the idea of that is to find, for you to find a path for yourself through this practice of the Native Americans. And 
so uh, in the vision quest, you basically starve yourself uh, and you, you don't sleep for days. And then and you're in the wilderness and you're supporting yourself off of uh, some juice and that's it. And keep a fire going until what eventually happens is you pass out. And when you pass out, you have a vision. And whatever that vision is, it dictates where you go, your path. Your path. It's, a, it's to set a path for you, or it gives you some guidance. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you, I went back to the medicine man of the tribe, who interpreted the dream that I had, my hallucination, basically. And that part, I, which is not something you discuss, but I can tell you the part of it that he did tell me was, it was time for me to stop learning and start teaching. And within a few weeks' time, of getting back here to this area where I was living at the time, um, I was approached about starting to teach. I thought, well, this is ironic, yeah. first of all, yeah. and and maybe opportunity, opportune because I was looking for another income source. So I started with the guild, and within a few weeks, uh, months of that, the, they approached me at the college to teach graphic art because I had experience in Macintosh, Mm -hmm. And at that time, experience in Macintosh was as good, and in art, an interest in the arts was as good as any graphic artist could be because uh, graphic art just switched over to Mac mm -hmm. from the old hand methods of doing that work. Yeah. So that's how I wound up here. Wow. I spent eight years, uh, I think, in graphic arts, and then... Uh, Switched over to fine art. Amazing, yeah, like, yeah. Like that's, I, I really like the uniqueness of, of that, and sort of, and you already talked about um, sort of what you like in the classroom, and I think it's pretty obvious in part how that experience has influenced how yeah. you view the classroom. And I, I mean, I my the way I approach my my uh, classes is the way I've approached art my whole life. So I think that. Then this is my impression of the way it should be. Maybe it's incorrect. Maybe there are part people in my department that don't think it's correct. I don't know. But I think that to be uh, to involve students in the arts, the best way is to expose them to the wholeness of that society, of that environment. So um, I take my students to the guild when we have an opportunity to use the equipment there to better better the class. And we try to we try to make it the whole. I try to make it the whole art experience. So mm -hmm. it's not just. It would be nice as if, as an artist, you could just create your work, put it out there, somebody would buy it, and you merrily go off and create something else. Yeah. But the reality is, most of what you do as an artist is marketing your work, selling yourself, doing promotion. Uh, about 70% of your time is spent doing that. Not the fun stuff, which is yeah. creating, but um, actually getting the work out there. So I try to make sure my students understand that, but at the same time, there should be some... If you're not, if there's not joy connected to what you're doing in the arts, you probably shouldn't be in the arts. Yeah. You know? yeah. So we try to have a little of everything, a little of all those worlds incorporated into it to make it... Uh, useful. So today, your college just got blown off the map. Like everybody else. <laughs> no more school. Um, you know, you you would still, I mean, you wouldn't teach here, obviously, but you'd still have the, the guild to teach at. But then not only that, but you still have your own personal art that you produce and sell and 
and you would keep doing that, like right? Yeah, I, I, you know, this is I've been an artist for forty some years, hmm. more than I probably want to mention. Uh, so I've been doing this a long time, and that I don't see that that's ever going to change. The thing, the reality is, you know, for a long time in the arts, you don't make enough money to survive. So I've also done a lot of other jobs. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's very grounding to have to work a regular job and then go home at night and go, if I want the art to succeed, I got to now work another eight hours right. to get that done. And so you get into that routine. You get into the, you get accustomed to living like that. Um, and so if I wasn't teaching your college, I would hopefully now, I'm an old guy now, right? <laughs> so at this age, I don't hope that I hope that I don't have to rely on some other job. The arts should carry me through, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've expanded my markets and I've gotten enough of my work out there. But the reality is that most artists don't get to do that. So that's why uh, some of these other occupations that I've had may be a little off the wall with some people, but they were the way I I had some skills, mm -hmm. and so I can use those skills to get get me there. So if it was today and I was no longer here at the college, I teach at the guild because I, I really do think there's a value in passing on what you know. And I've spent a lot of years accumulating this knowledge, right. not through the, the higher education system, but by working with other artists from other cultures, learning their techniques, their methods. And so I have a really diverse library of information that I carry around with me all the time in my head. Mm -hmm. And I get to, so when I teach, I get to sort of use that and help other people find pathways for themselves. So I think I would continue to do that. And then, of course, you know, do the galleries that I do, uh, which I'm supplied, keep creating. Because really, the, the thing that I get out of this is I get to walk away every season and look back and go, okay, that was my collection for this year. This is what I, I created. So, and there's to me, there's a value in that. Not everybody, right. I'm sure, is going to feel that way about that. That's important in their lives, but to me, it is. Yeah. So, do you think that there's something to like amassing knowledge that kind of like, I don't know, makes it? I, don't know, I can't think of the word, but like, I don't know. It was in my head. It's there. But, like, um, you know, like, even if you... So so you didn't necessarily go through, like, the like the, the traditional, like, from high school to college to grad school, get your PhD in, like, arts kind of thing. You, you, like, went out there and you studied with the actual people doing the actual work. And you put in the actual work yourself. And then, you know, you created your own gallery, you created your own personal style, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, like created your own means to an education. Right. Yeah. And so now you've amassed all this knowledge of how to do things. Um, I don't even say like correctly. Cause I, don't, I think with art, there's no the correct way to do something. Yeah. No, there, there are so many ways to approach it. I think, uh, whichever one works for you, that right. that, that's a solution. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be, it can be based on a lot of different things. What, why those different avenues exist. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example of that, okay? Um, when I was working in metals, I started to work with, I was working with Native Americans. I worked with Russian and uh, 
English artist, French artist. And then I had an opportunity to work with a Japanese sword maker. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the metal culture, the metallurgy and metalworking sort of grew up in all the cultures of the world around the same time. It just sort of sprung up out of out of the cultures at the, at, uh, as they existed then. But they all approached it differently. Um, a French artist will work different, slightly differently than somebody who is from the Native American community. Mm -hmm. And although they're working with the same materials and uh, maybe have specific styles that they like, the technique that they use to get to that final product is somewhat different. The Japanese, at the time that metallurgy grew up within their culture, they didn't have clocks. So rather than try to time, which is what we do here in the West, we sit down and time out everything. You know, if you're doing heat treating or you're doing annealing in metal, you're looking at temperature, you're looking at the time frame, and that's how we judge everything. So the Japanese set up ceremonies that took a specific amount of time in order to do this particular technique. Yeah. Right. And that way, their, their culture uses ceremony to time out every operation in, say, sword making. If you're, they were making a samurai sword, it takes uh, days and days and days, weeks, actually, to accomplish it. And every element of that is timed out by ceremony. Where here we'd stand down, look at the clock and go, okay, it's time to take that out of the furnace. Right. They have the ceremony ends. Now for them, it's time to take that out of the furnace. Mm -hmm. So every culture has a, a little bit of a, a tweak on how they approached it. And if you understand all those different possibilities, um, it, it opens you up to a different way of looking at the work, mm -hmm. looking at the... the design, looking at the uh, articulation and the construction of the pieces. So having a, that, all those different points of view, to me, is I find beneficial. And so sometimes I get a student that uh, maybe they have a, a, an inability, a disability, maybe it's an elderly person who can't use their hands the same. Mm -hmm. So I can take techniques from one culture or another and go, look, here's a way to do that. You know, here's another avenue that you can use. And sometimes it helps, you know, it helps Correct. grease the wheels for them. They can get onto the product, production of the product easier. And so having all those avenues to go down and look for answers is a benefit. And to me, that's a, the value of the way I learn. Right. You know, I have lots of ways to approach it. Yeah. I could have sworn you were going to go with the monster hands thing. <laughs> I was just waiting for it. I was like, yeah, if you have monster hands, you have to go around and do something different. Yeah. Um, but So what I meant to say was, okay, so you, you've amassed all this knowledge. Do so you think it's like now your obligation to the next generation to pass that knowledge on? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, what, what, what am I going to do with it? Right. You right. know, they're going to put me eventually in a box somewhere, and that's that. Mm -hmm. And so if I haven't passed it on, then it dies with me, right? And that makes no sense to me. So I think, yeah, I, I, I would hope we all should be feel obligated to not only pass on what we know, but to know whatever we can know. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the more information we can gather in a lifetime, um, the more diverse we become as people, the more understanding we become right. of other people's situations. And so I think that that's one of the beauties of life is that we you know, acquire knowledge and pass it on uh, in a way that 
hopefully, in a way that other people can utilize it. All right. Yeah. I agree. And I think with any level, so as a writing major, I can really, like, agree and, like, sort of feel for that, because I think when you're creating on any level, whether you're using words, steel, um, like, music, like, instruments, right? Like, I think being able to bring those perspectives, both about the art you're engaged with, and those sort of worldly experiences, sort of what you've harvested from the world, I think that not only really benefits you as a teacher, but as a creator, yeah. right? And and I'm a big fan of this idea of like life as a comp like composition itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone creating their own self, right? And I, like why deny yourself any part of that? Yeah, like, it, yeah. It's it, it makes you less, I think, not to try to expand. I mean, we have this ability, right, mm -hmm. to uh, disseminate information and create either poetry mm -hmm. or words or uh, a thing of beauty or whatever from it, why would we not take advantage of that? Mm -hmm. And then when we do have that ability, why would we not pass that knowledge on so that somebody else can take advantage of it? It just seems to me, I don't know why else we're here. Right. Yeah, that always bothers me about certain people, like they're just so set and themselves that they don't want to like yeah, reach out and try other a things. A friend of mine once said to me, uh, there was something, so my, part of my background was mechanical, so I I worked as a, in, in aviation in the mechanics area. And so when something breaks, my friends come to me and go, Bill, could you fix this? Right. right. And I, I was actually, I think it's law and more broke or something. And he said to me, I said, well, I'm explaining. So this is why, this is the problem. Here it is. This is what happened. This is what you would do in the future to correct it. And he goes, I don't want to know any of that stuff. <laughs> and I thought, why would you not want to know it? Right. Because, right, it's what, because it's easier to call me and have me come over here and do it. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's true. But, geez, I can't, I can't imagine going, yeah, that's knowledge I don't want. Right. You know, because to me, I don't think I've ever been comfortable saying that in my life so <laughs> so that struck me as very odd sort of uh, a way to look at the world that's true there's definitely two sides to the whole teach a man how to fish thing you know yeah like you also yeah. have to like want to learn how to fish right? that's well, true it's yeah yeah because i mean if i can just keep calling you why not yeah yeah that's right yeah, yeah. i well, it's probably easier because i didn't charge you anything <laughs> and when I left the lawnmower worked so yeah, you know, there, was the, there was that benefit to it I suppose Yeah. so if you hypothetically if you weren't teaching and you weren't creating what would be the next job that you would be interested in or it doesn't even necessarily be a job it could be a hobby or like maybe you've always wanted to pick up sailing or something I don't know but like you know, what would be something besides the arts and besides teaching that you would be interested in? Um, I like sailing very much. I oh, think, right. yeah, but, uh, <laughs> and I've, I've been, my brother's a marine biologist, so he and I have spent a lot of time in that, in that practice when we can. Uh, but, um, well, I don't, my, I, I had a career uh, that I thought I would probably pursue for a long time. Uh, that it was a way of making money. But when I when I mentioned earlier that I, I was driving for Porsche, so I was involved in that in, in the motorhead sort of uh, category of person for a long time. I sp I think I spent uh, about sixteen years between racing professionally and uh, testing for different companies. So I had a, I 
a test rider for Harley Davidson for six years. Mm-hmm. I was a I drove for Hake Racing for uh, almost fourteen years, and uh, then I owned RT Industries, where we did test work for racing teams that didn't have a driver in the off season when we're trying to prep a car. Mm-hmm. So we did. I did that, and I I really. That was my great love. I would have kept doing that, but uh, if you either aren't fast enough or you fall down enough times, you go, maybe this isn't the best way to make a living. Right. You know? <laughs> and so after that many years of it and that many um, uh, unfortunate encounters, because it's one of those jobs where when things go bad, they go seriously bad right. sometimes, you know. I sort of got to, I got it in my head that maybe I should stop. I still ride a motorcycle most yeah. of the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I never speed on the highway, of course, but um, mm. but if I can get a track day in, I still will take advantage of that and go do that. So that was a great. Um, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that lifestyle. I enjoyed traveling all the time, and I and I the, the adrenaline involved in. Uh, in the practice was, I suppose, an addiction that I still have. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but I, I would say, you know, those were the things I really liked uh, and really participated in most of my life up until today, uh, if I could. But you get older, your reflexes slow down. Right. They don't look at you very seriously anymore, <laughs> you know, when you come to the track and mm. like it used to in the old days. So, yeah. yeah. The, the guy, the last bit major test. That I did was a I did test on a, a Le Mans car at, at Daytona, at the uh, the road racing circuit here at Daytona, um, and the and the thing that I learned there on that day what on that in that that week or so that I was there was that um, experience is worth a lot right because there was a lot of young I got on the pit road and it, like everybody's twenty years old and I'm like I was fifty. And I'm thinking, man, I feel really ancient here. So I was, uh, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to, how am I going to compete with this, you know? And it wasn't a competition per se, but it was, you know, competition exists in those formats right. no matter what, yeah, right? Absolutely. And I thought, yeah, man, this is going to be rough. In fact, one of the regulars down there, a guy I've known for years, came over and said, what are you doing here? Went, I'm here to test. And he goes, Man, did you see the guys on pit road? He goes, what, what are you go? Uh, I thought maybe you were here to change their diapers. I said, no, no, man. I said, I'm here to work. He goes, oh, okay, okay. Um, and I, over the couple weeks I was there, over that period of time, we got to know each other. I got to test with him. We were on the track every day for long periods of time. And at the end of the of the event, they took me to dinner and they gave me a t-shirt that said. Once you're over the hill, you just pick up speed. So that was my. <laughs> so that was my. That's that awesome. I felt like exonerated <laughs> by the end of the week. So, um, so it, that answered. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, yeah. I would love to be. I, I like to go fast, and if I could still do it and uh, and not risk everything every time, <laughs> I'd probably still be doing it. I guess. So this is what I mean. Uh, earlier, we were talking because you have so many awesome jobs and throughout your life and um I, I was saying to colin that like one day we'll find out that he's no longer working here but he's like on a mission to mars or something <laughs> something crazy 
Um, Found a new way to go fast. Yeah. <laughs> the fastest. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was really great. Thank you for mm-hmm. joining us. My pleasure. It was a nice time. I, I enjoyed having a conversation with you guys. Before we wrap up, do you have um, any contact info for any listeners who might be looking to join the guild? Yes, you can uh, You can find the guild at ytcg.org. Uh, that's our website. You can also find us on Facebook at the Yorktown Craft Guild. Uh, and you can find my own work at uh, www.thompsondesign.com. And uh, in any of those in any of those formats, you can either sign up for classes at the guild. You can see what we're up to. We collaborate with a lot of other organizations around town here. We have a particularly tight relationship with the uh, Strawberry Fields uh, wood kiln, where they do firing outdoor wood firing of pottery. And uh, and you know, check us out. See what's going on. We always have new events, and there are classes all winter long, and less in the summer, but more in the winter. And you can get involved and come out. Uh, the Yorktown Craft Field is a nonprofit. We uh, try to make uh, our our uh, mission statement is uh, advancing the arts through education, and so we do everything we can to promote the arts and. So come and join us. Thank you very much. Oh, actually, uh, before then, uh, for students here, do you have any suggestions for maybe art classes to take in the future? Sure. I mean, first of all, any art class in the art department, I think, is valid. You should definitely uh, involve yourself. If you're interested in the arts at all, while you're in college, it's an opportunity to create a hobby that you might want to pursue later on. Um, And I think that uh, my cl- of course, I'm going to plug my own classes right. because let the other people plug theirs. <laughs> uh, I teach uh, jewelry and small sculpture. I teach ceramics. And for the next semester, I'm going to teach cer- uh, uh, sculpture as well. Uh, jewelry and small sculpture and uh, ceramics are classes that you don't have to have a background in. You don't have to have any knowledge. But I guarantee that by the time you leave the class, you'll be knowledgeable enough to carry on that discipline for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. That's my goal when we walk into the classroom. Right. And in three months, I can teach anybody how to do the, the techniques necessary to follow that discipline for their uh, as a hobby or or a profession if they want. Right. So, you know, come by come by the studio. You can see a display of the things outside my studio up at uh, two hundred eight of what we are doing during the semester. And Stop by there and check it out. And that's in Wolf Hall. That's a Wolf Hall. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Wolf Hall, two of Yeah, yep. so stop by and see that and come into the classroom. Talk to me. I'll be happy to show you what we do. And you're, and any artist or anybody interested in the arts is always welcome in my studio. And if the classes happen to be filled, like your ceramics class, it normally only shoot or on the, um, the scheduling thing online, it normally only allows eight people. Yeah. If, there's, if it's full on there, can they come to you to be added to the class? Yeah, I can't guarantee that we can always do it, mm-hmm. but uh, you're always welcome. If a class is full, come and see me. If we can work out an arrangement, uh, especially if you're a senior or somebody doesn't have another opportunity, we'll make some try to make some provisions. We can work with the people uh, in charge of the department to see that you get into the class, and I will go to my I will go out of my way to make that happen because I want 
people to have the opportunities they want to participate in. Right. Well, that's awesome. And, I mean, I can personally speak for the ceramics class. I feel like, I mean, now that we're towards the end, that if I were to leave this class today, I know for a fact if I, when I leave this class today, I'm still going to continue doing ceramics work. I'm going to check out the guild. I've been talking to my mom and my aunt about it because they're like, oh, my God, these things that you made are so cool. We want to join. So, um. <laughs> Yeah, I did ask uh, for the guild info for you listeners, but I also asked for myself. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> so now I'll have it. Well, listen, Artemis, the teapot looks great, man. It came oh, out did of, it? came out of the kiln yesterday. So, oh, great. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's ready to glaze and go on. You're making tea in no time. All right, so nice. I made a teapot. <laughs> Um, we're going to glaze it and we'll post the picture of it so you guys can check it out yes. and see how you like it. Uh, well, thank you again for mm -hmm. joining us. And, um, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure being here. Yeah, Absolutely. awesome. All right. So, All right. so, so thank you, the, listeners. Thank you. And, uh, we never know how to end these. So, you know. So we'll see you next time later this week for oh. Colin's peer review. Wait, are we? I don't know. Who's our next interview? We're doing another interview. Um, I think. So yeah. the next, the next rough draft should be with Professor Olney, who is the film, uh, I, I guess the film minor. He's also an advisor. I'm not sure what his particular title is here. He teaches the film classes. Um, we can find it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. He'll tell you when you're on, when yeah. he's on. So just yeah. check back and listen. You'll have to like check that the whole interview. Out. Yeah, because I could out. be lying right now. He could really be like in the FBI. Yeah, you never yeah. know. So, all right. So that's the end of our podcast. Let's sort of wrap it up. Yep, and we will see you again next week, and hopefully by then we will have the finished product of our first and probably final radio play. It's taken us a little <laughs> while, so you know it'll be good. Yes. All right, guys. Keep crafting. Take it easy. Woo!